Very good morning to you. Good morning to you all. It's lovely to see you here this fine day. Grab a donut, grab your coffee, grab a seat. We'll get cracking. My name's Neil. I'm married to the wonderful Kate. Uh, we sort of attempt to lead this church here. If you're new here or you're visiting, uh, you're very, very welcome. In one of the black pouches in one of the chairs nearby, you'll see one of these green connect cards. If you are new, if you are visiting, do fill one of those out. Hand it in to um, young Zachary on the PA desk. And uh, we'd love to connect with you. We'd love to give you a little more information about who we are, why we do the church the way we do, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you're not signing your life away, but um, please fill one of those out. That's the first thing. Uh, second thing, you'll probably, some of you may know, uh, we run a food bank here. Who's involved in the food bank? Awesome, fantastic team of people. We run a food bank uh, from our community center at the yard in Putney uh, on a Sunday and a Wednesday. Um, we also run on a Tuesday, I think, called the Job Club. Who's involved in Job Club? Yeah. Same people. <laughs> that sounded like a very samey kind of cry. Um, we've got the Job Club coming, uh, happening on Tuesday. The Job Club started by a bunch of people in this church. It's been a phenomenal, has, a, has had a phenomenal impact on uh, the local community. Uh, people just trying to find themselves, uh, get themselves back into work. We've got a fantastic team of people coaching on a weekly basis, it's an incredible thing. So those two things, Food Bank and Job Club, um, happening out of the yard uh, week in, week out. If you are looking to find some way to get connected with some of the activity and ministry of the church, can I commend Food Bank and Job Club to you? Um, they are fantastic ways to uh, connect with people outside the church, people who are in a significant, often, amount of need. Um, a wonderful way to be the, the demonstration of the gospel uh, in action. So can I encourage you to get involved in those flyers that are available on the welcome desk. This Wednesday, is it Wednesday? At 12.30, if you would like to find out more, you can come along. Uh, they're having a Christmas lunch at the yard, yes. So um, you can come along to that and um, eat food and cake and all kinds of other things. Right, so that was just an aside. Um, Advent. We are in Advent, and over Advent, we've been looking at various characters from the Christmas story. We've been looking at their responses to the birth of Jesus. And, and this week, I, I was supposed to be taking a look at the shepherds out watching their flocks by night. Um, but for some reason, I felt like the Lord said, um, don't do that. Uh, let's leave that till next week. Uh, maybe there'll be shepherds visiting us next week. I have no idea. Um, so uh, I felt like the Lord said, let's leave that till next week. Um, and instead, this week, we should look at the Magi. Yes. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. We'll have a look at the story of the Magi. Now, the slight problem, as I'm sure you're well aware, is that the Magi or the wise men... Um, had virtually nothing to do with the Christmas story whatsoever. Um, any of you who over the last week or two have sat in rapt attention at one of your offspring's uh, nativity plays? Anyone been at a nativity play this week? God, you're, you've got off lightly, you lot. Uh, well done. Um, you'll have been to a nativity play, I'm sure, at some point in your life, and you'll be more than aware that the Christmas story has been sort of telescoped 
you know, if you're lucky into a 20-minute nativity play, uh, if, like us, um, you were unlucky, it was an hour-long uh, nativity um, play. And you'll have noticed, you know, you'll have noticed that um, the Magi have, have, had a, have had a sort of a makeover. Uh, pretty much everything has been done to the, to the Magi. They've been, um, they've been limited to three, uh, so that happened. Uh, they were um, promoted to kings. Um, that also happened. They, they, they got given names. That happened. Um, they also kind of got a skin tone makeover. Um, sort of, I don't know if it was early sort of um, political correctness. I'm not quite sure what, but everything has happened to the Magi. And I think that's mostly because most of what we know about the three wise men is, is legend. It's legend. It's been wonderfully romanticized. So what does the Bible have to say about uh, what happened? What is, what is the significance of these mysterious travelers from the East? And, and, and what, what, if anything, has it got to do with us um, today? So why don't we take a look? Matthew chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. This is a quote from the Old Testament from the prophet Micah, and it says this, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of, Judea, of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I, I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, um, we've got absolutely no idea when it was that they arrived on the scene. If you've ever read any of the Bible, you may have noticed that the Bible has this habit of condensing uh, history uh, somewhat by Matthew chapter 3. Uh, you skip over, you go to Matthew chapter 3. We've, 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 we've skipped almost um, 30 years. There's a gap in time between the end of chapter, Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter uh, 2. And so this visit of the Magi is actually a very separate event uh, to the 
angels singing and the shepherds washing, uh, washing their socks and watching their flocks um, and, the, and, the, and the donkeys braying and the cattle lowing, you know. It, it may have been as much as a year later. In verse 11, you see in verse 11 it says, you notice they talk of um, the child, but not a baby. See how Joseph and Mary have um, moved up the property ladder that talks of a house and not a stable. Um, the thing is, when they actually got there, is really, it isn't really what matters at all. What matters is the journey that they set out on in the first place. That's that's what sets the Magi apart, and, and that's what gives the Magi something to teach us. Uh, T.S. Eliot, in his poem, The, um, the Journey of the Magi, he, he puts it like, um, like this. A cold coming we had of it, just the worst time of year for a journey, and such a long journey the ways deep and the weather sharp, the very dead of winter. And the camels galled, sore-footed, refractory, lying down in the melting snow. There were times we regretted the summer palaces on slopes, the terraces, and the silken girls bringing sherbet. Then the camel men cursing and grumbling and running away and wanting their liquor and women and the night fires going out, and the lack of shelters, and the cities hostile, and the towns unfriendly, and the villages dirty and charging high prices. A hard time we had of it. At the end, we preferred to travel all night, sleeping in snatches, with the voices singing in our ears, saying that this was all folly. And it's in the experience of these major, many people have... Um, have seen a sort of a much more universal experience. Many see the journey here of the Magi as, as a metaphor for faith itself, the journey of faith that we all make. Um, T.S. Eliot himself it, it reflects his journey of faith. When he was finding faith, he, he, uh, he found himself in St. Peter's uh, in Rome, and it was whilst he was there at the Vatican that he saw um, Michelangelo's Pieta, and uh, he he came down and saw the statue, and he, he saw the statue. He fell to his knees. He fell to his knees, and he just began to weep as he encountered the wonderful person of Jesus. And his life was never the same ever from that point on. There's something of the story, there's something of the journey of faith in the story of the Magi. And as we approach Christmas, as we come to this turning point in the year, it's a wonderful opportunity for us all. I think, to reflect on our own journey of faith and where we are on that journey. So we're going to take a look at this chapter. We're going to notice at least three things that the major I did, of course. They could only possibly have done three things. There are some subheadings for you, so don't worry. Um, and the three things that particularly we note that they did is that they responded to the Lord, they worshipped the Lord, and they gave to the Lord. The first thing is they responded to the Lord. I think it's fair to say you look at the Magi from wherever it was they came from. They, they didn't have very much to go on. They didn't have a lot to go on, but what they did is they acted on what they had. Um, they didn't actually 
commentators have expanded on this a lot, but they didn't actually follow the star on camels across you know, the desert, sort of westward leading, still proceeding guide us to thy perfect light. You know, the, the star wasn't sort of dangling from a string just in front of their noses, just keeping them trotting across deserts. The, the, the text says in verse 2, it says that they only saw it once. We saw the star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. That's it. Literally saw the star and its rising. They saw the star and its ascendancy. And these guys, they had one glimpse of this star. And it was on the basis of that that they set off on this huge, epic adventure. Not sounding very much like wise men at this point. They saw it only once when it rose. They didn't see it again and for, the, for the second time until just before they reached their destination. So after they'd encountered Herod and just before they reached their destination in Bethlehem. See it down in verse 9. And it's as if God was giving them just one thing. He just gave them one sign, one faintest whiff of a clue. It was something, something distinctly supernatural, absolutely. But it was vague at best. And these guys did everything that they possibly could to respond. And then God gives them something else. He gives them like another piece in the puzzle, another clue in their search. This time it's from the Old Testament scriptures. It's from Micah, chapter 5, this prophecy concerning the Messiah coming out of Bethlehem. You know, you think about it. Talk about going out on a limb, these guys. I mean, this vague idea that this might just be God. I don't know, but G.K. Caspar? What's his name? Or is that the ghost? No, <laughs> what was his name? Caspar. Who's that? Belter? Belter? Who? Belter's um, Melchior. What? We know it. The three words. <laughs> you know, chatting to each other over sherbet. The silken ladies have brung them. Brung them. And um, why don't we head off to Bethlehem? I, that's, I've got nothing else to do. Have you? They just responded to God. Just imagine how difficult it must have been. This trek was physically dangerous. Um, it was difficult, exacting. They weren't just popping around the corner. You know, these are the Magi from the east. Traveling anywhere wasn't pleasant or easy. They weren't checked in at the first-class lounge, you know, Heathrow, sipping champagne, waiting for their connecting flight to wherever. Physically, emotionally, mentally, the whole thing, it was tough. Just imagine the ideas, the thoughts, the feelings that are racing through their minds and their hearts as they're traveling. This was a hard journey. So is the journey of faith. The journey of faith is hard. One of the things Elliot, I think, does so brilliantly in his poem is he, he highlights the whole thing of this challenge. Um, they had ample excuses for turning back, the lack of shelter, the hostile cities, high prices on the road, and, 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 and. But rather than go back, the major, they choose to sort of redouble their efforts, press on. They travel through the night, sleeping in snatches, 
all the while, voices singing in their ears that this whole thing must be folly. Does any of that sound familiar to any of you who are on a journey of faith? Well, if it does, you're in very good company indeed. You're in the company of the Magi, and they aren't called the wise men for nothing. You see, the undertaking, uh, the, the journey of the Magi, it's indicative of the spiritual journey that so many of us are on there, the journey of faith. With just, there's just the slightest suggestion. I, I, I don't know, but I think God might be speaking. I, I don't know. It's kind of just... Maybe, maybe God's showing me something. You know, maybe that thing that my, that my friend said to me the other day, maybe that was actually God, I don't know. Was that, maybe that dream I had the other night, maybe that was God, I don't know. Maybe that star I saw. Just small pieces in the puzzle. Maybe the challenges that you're facing, maybe the doubts you're having. Maybe the voices that are singing in your ears right now saying that this is all folly. Maybe they're just actually the well-worn pathways that countless pilgrims have traveled before you. Because faith rarely comes easily, but it's always worth the effort. Uh, there's an apologetics theologian. He's the former rector of St. Aldate's in uh, Oxford, Michael Green. He said this. He said this. Is it not perfectly astonishing that men with so little to go on should venture so far Endure such hardships in travel and face such uncertainties of finding the one the star betokened. What is more, they wanted to give him costly gifts and the worship of their hearts. He goes on, he says, I find their faith, their insight, their wholehearted search and adoring worship utterly amazing. It is one of the many surprises in the gospel, but then... God is the God of the surprises. Those who think they can predict his actions need to think again. Let me just say, just an aside, I suppose, to those of you who might be here this morning and you're either visiting and you're kind of saying to yourself, I, I, I'm still not entirely sure what I got dragged along to. I don't know where I am. Or maybe you've been coming in the past few weeks, you still haven't made up your mind about this thing called Christianity that people here seem to be talking about. Uh, first of all, the truth is hardly a Sunday goes by without there being people here who um, frankly wouldn't call themselves um, believers or disciples of Jesus or Christians, whatever that may be. So um, that's absolutely fine. First of all, Wherever you are this morning, um, the fact that you're here means that you're incredibly welcome. But maybe there's um, someone here this morning and you're sort of interested in this Christianity stuff. So I'm not quite sure what I make of it. Just checking it out, dipping my toe in the water. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. These people seem quite friendly, most of them. Maybe you've heard... You think you've heard. You may have a vague, vague, vague impression that God might be speaking to you. Maybe there's been some kind of supernatural thing that God's done. It's weird. 
don't understand it. I think it might be God. Well, if that's you, let me encourage you just to think on some of the things that the Magi did. Have a look at verse 2 in Matthew chapter 2. The first thing they did is they asked, they asked the right questions. If that's you and you're here this morning and you're thinking more about Christianity, it's okay to ask questions. Like, it's a good thing to ask questions. Just ask lots and lots of questions. These guys asked questions. They asked the right questions. They go and they say, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. First of all, just go ahead. Ask as many questions as you like. The second thing that they did is they went to the right, they went to the right place. Um, verses 5 and 6. They, they, they went in amongst other places. They went back to the Bible. They went back to the Old Testament. They rummaged around and found Micah and his prophecy pointing to Jesus. Go to the right place. Um, find out for yourself. Go to the source. Read, read the Bible. Give it a go. Just start in the Gospel of John. Start reading it. Just see what God does. They went, asked the right questions. They went to the right place. And then the third thing, they went to the right person. Uh, verse 11, they went, they went to see Jesus for themselves. Verse 11 says this, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. If you're exploring Christianity, can I encourage you to ask as many questions as you like. Go to the right places. Go to the right um, person. And, and in all honesty, one of the very many ways that you can do all of that is through this thing um, that we keep talking about called Alpha. Alpha is just a fantastic a place where anyone can go, uh, regardless of where they are on the spiritual journey or the journey of faith, or even if they're not on the journey of faith. You can go along to Alpha, you can ask whatever questions you like, and you can meet the person of Jesus and, and then decide for yourself. And if that's you this morning, um, we'd love to invite you to come along to um, Alpha and see what you think. There's, there are flyers for these things. Um, they're just at the back on the desk somewhere. Okay, and... Uh, just come along. Uh, we'll be starting in the new year, and we'll be kicking off the new year. Friday the 8th of January, we're having a drinks party at the Fox and Grapes pub in Wimbledon Village. So if for nothing else, come along and have a couple of glasses of wine on us and uh, some canapes. Uh, that'll be fun and entertaining, great way to kick off the new year. And then from Tuesday the 19th, Tuesday the 19th of January, we'll be starting again in Wimbledon Village, just once a week, um, looking at... Questions like, who is Jesus? Why did he die? Things like that. And what we'll do is we'll feed you a really decent supper, uh, which will be free, and then there'll be a very short talk from the Bible, and then you'll be free to just discuss those things and, and, and raise and ask any questions um, that you like. And if, if you like it, you come back the following week. And if you don't like it, you just don't come back. It's kind of pretty straightforward, really. So um, if you or anyone you know would like to come along, please um, grab a flyer, uh, invite them, come along yourselves, um, and uh, we'd love to see you there. So the Magi responded to the Lord. The other two things, just quickly. The second thing that they did is they worshipped. They worshipped the Lord. They responded to the Lord. They worshipped the Lord. Look at verse 11. They came to the house, and they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped they didn't go um, to see 
the Christ child to argue or debate or even just admire. They, 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 went, to worship. they went to worship. Once they realized who he was, the only, the only option open to them, the only response that they could give was to bow down in worship. No, no other option really was open to them. They worshipped the Lord. And, and, and the truth is, when all said and done, that, that's the bottom line. It's the bottom line. Before um, anything and everything else, we are made to worship. To worship Him. Here in the vineyard, we have, um, we have uh, five priorities. Um, and priorities are the things which we kind of give our time and our energy and our money to. They're the things that we're, the things that we do, just as a as a church, you know. And our first priority, the first priority in the vineyard, has always been worship. Always worship. We desire to worship God with our whole um, being. We want Jesus to be the very centre of everything that we do. We hunger for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We thirst for the presence and the glory of God as we've just seen manifest throughout worship. We want our worship, again, as it was this morning, to be led by the Holy Spirit. As part of our worship, we want the Word of God, the Scriptures, our plumb line, our yardstick, this book, we want the scriptures to be taught. We want to hear not only just hear the scriptures being taught, we want to kind of work out how do we do what we're hearing? How do we be doers of the word, not just hearers? How do we obey it? As part of our worship, we want to be people who are transformed with ever-increasing glory into the wonderful, perfect image of Jesus. And when the Magi encountered the infant Christ, no other option was open to them but to get on their faces before him, to bow down and to worship. And, and the truth is, the reality is, whenever we encounter the wonderful person of Jesus, no other option is open to any of us but to get on our faces before him and worship. T.S. Lewis uh, famously said this. He said, I'm, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus has said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he'd be the devil of hell. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us, and he did not intend to. The Magi responded to the Lord, the Magi worshipped the Lord, and the Magi gave to the Lord. See how the first thing they do when they encounter Jesus is they give of themselves. Verse 11, they bowed down and worshipped him, and then out of that place of giving themselves, surrendering their own selves, their lives, it's out of that place that they then gave their stuff, their things. Verse 11, then they opened their 
treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. The, the major, they gave to the Lord. And there are many interpretations, you know, as to what these gifts mean. You know, gold for a king, um, uh, uh, incense for a priest, myrrh for a, a body in a tomb. But these are precious gifts. Notice just the value of these gifts. These, these are described as treasures. Um, they didn't give out of what was left over. You know, we've been on a long journey. We've kind of snacked on the way. What's left in my rucksack? Thinking, is that that? They gave their most treasured, prized possessions. And when we're giving to Jesus, value is measured not in terms of what it will buy, but in terms of what it costs. And when we encounter Jesus, um, we, something happens to us. Like T.S. Eliot, in just encountering the presence of the living God in you know, St. Peter's, we just fall on our knees and just give it all. Just, I just want to give it all. We gladly, willingly give him everything. All to Jesus, I surrender. The Magi responded to Jesus, they worshipped Jesus, they gave to Jesus. The journey of the Magi, what's in here for us, I think, is the journey of faith. And um, it's something for us, I think, to just reflect on. There's a chap called Lancelot Andrews. Uh, T.S. Eliot actually uses a bit of his stuff in the, his poem, The Journey of the Magi. He was born in, um, he was born in 1555. Uh, amongst many other things, he was bishop of... Uh, Winchester Cathedral, of Chist Chichester Cathedral, of um, Ely Cathedral. He was one of the divines um, who was named for um, translating the King James Version of the Bible. He was one of the guys who was preeminently responsible for the King James translation of the Bible actually uh, being published and distributed. On, um, on Christmas Day, 1622, he preached a sermon on this text, Matthew, uh, Matthew 2. And it was in front of King James the first, it was at Whitehall Palace. And this is what he said. He was speaking about the Queen of Sheba. And he says this. The Queen of the South, Queen of Sheba, who was a figure of these kings of the East, she came as great a journey as these. But when she came, she found a king indeed. King Solomon in all his royalty. She saw a glorious king and a glorious court all around him. She saw him and heard him, tried him with many hard questions, received satisfaction of them all. This was worth her coming. Weigh what she found and what these here, these magi, as poor and unlikely a birth as ever could be, as ever could prove a king, or could ever prove any great matter. No sight to comfort them, nor a word for which they any whit the wiser. Nothing worth their travel. Weigh these together, and great odds will be found between her faith and theirs. Theirs the greater far. Well, they will take him as they find him, and all this notwithstanding, worship him for all that. So over these last couple of weeks of Advent, as we approach um, Christmas, can I encourage you 
to take Jesus as you find him? Can I encourage you to take him as you find him? This Jesus, someone described him like this, this Jesus, born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman who grew up in another obscure village where he worked in a carpenter's shop until he was 30 when public opinion turned against him. He never wrote a book. He never held public office. He never went to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things usually associated with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when his friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. And yet 20 centuries have come and gone, and still today Jesus is the central figure of the human race and the leader of all mankind's progress. All the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that have ever reigned, all put together have not affected the life of mankind on earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. Why don't you stand?